0: We're going to move into some real meaty chapters in chapter 32, 33, and 34. So I'm uh, excited about uh, uh, next Friday going forward, next few Fridays going forward. But uh, before we, we get there, we're going to kind of look at the the last part of uh, of the law of the of the Mosaic Covenant and. Uh, um, so far in Exodus, we've studied how God's people Israel—they suffered under the tyranny of Pharaoh for around 400 years—and then we're told early on in Exodus of God hearing the cries of His people, and so God, in His mercy, sends a deliverer, named Moses. And if you remember, uh, Moses was raised an Egyptian prince, and uh, he's still—he's uh, still very Egyptian—and we were introduced. To this kind of this introduction of Moses' life and and calling, we're introduced to the theology of corporate identity. Uh, we, we we learn that uh, in order for a leader of God's people, in order for that for him to rescue God's people, he must first identify with God's people. And so, in the forty years of, of the wilderness, Moses has this transformation. He goes from Egyptian prince to uh, Hebrew deliverer, um, and that he returns to Egypt 40 years later, and he approaches a, a Pharaoh in the name of Yahweh. And, and what's Pharaoh's response? Who is this? Who's Yahweh? Well, I don't
1: know him. And So this arrogant reply, this
0: report by Pharaoh pre- precipitates this battle between God and Pharaoh as God single-handedly fights for Israel. Through these templates, God decidedly reveals the unique power and glory of Yahweh's name, God alone defeats the entire Egyptian army on Israel's behalf. And that battle, that decimation in the Red Sea, it prefigures Armageddon of the end times, right? Uh, just like, I mean, it's not really a battle. The, the, the Egyptian army, they go in the Red Sea and they're totally decimated. There's no there's no fight. Uh the Armageddon is not really a battle, right? It's, there's no Jesus comes and boom, they're they're dead. And so you see this uh Prefigurement of, of, final Armageddon, uh, as, um, as, as, as God causes the walls of the sea to destroy all of Egypt's army in a single instance. And so now we move from slavery to Yahweh to slavery to, so we, we move from slavery to Pharaoh to slavery to Yahweh. And this is kind of a hard, hard concept to embrace as Americans, because we kind of naturally think of slavery and free people. We, we think of those kind of categories. And sometimes, if you're, you know, I was listening to this um, this Christian radio, and it's it, has, it doesn't have the best songs, a lot of bad songs. And one song talks about oh the freedom we have, the freedom that we have, and and the freedom we have in Christ, and I and not really well explained in the song. And sometimes um, I think we can be kind of uh, not very clearly informed about what this freedom really is. It's it's not really uh, slavery to freedom. The Bible doesn't really recognize those. Those categories of of peoples, we we learn that in in here and throughout Scripture that from God's vantage point, everybody's a slave, and the only question is, whose slave are you? And so, is Moses and Israel? They celebrate their new slavery to Yahweh in Exodus fifteen before traveling to Mount Sinai in chapter six and following. And go to go to Exodus fifteen and. Look at the last words of Moses' song of victory. It's, uh, this is the, the, the last words of, of Moses' song. He says in verse 17, chapter 15, verse 17 You will bring them, that's Israel, and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance the place, O Yahweh, for which you have made for you to inhabit, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. That's the final uh, final words of Moses' song. So Israel goes to Mount Sinai, chapter 19, they receive the law in chapter 20, and from chapter 20 onward until chapter 31, Israel receives the law, instruction how to build the tabernacle, um and this, this the, the chapter 31 these final instructions about the tabernacle this is what this is what Moses celebrated at the end of his song it's a it, this this sanctuary this tabernacle uh, uh, that becomes a temple later in the old testament it's a place that symbolizes final creation and the garden of eden so as i said many times before in our study of exodus Exodus gives is a is a gives us a framework of salvation. It presents a theology of salvation. It is the Cornerstone of theology right for the Bible We are saved from slavery to sin to slavery to Yahweh a slavery that will uh, lead to a new kingdom a new creation and God's Dwelling presence last Friday. We looked at chapter 30. We were given instructions about the altar of incense What did the altar of incense symbolize? Ah, prayers. the prayers of God's people. Great. It was placed where? Where in the tent? Okay. Uh, right outside the right outside the curtain, uh, in between the the lampstand and the table of showbread. Uh, and then we were given information about the atonement price for census taking. Uh, something that David kind of breaks and is punished for. Then we're given uh, instructions about the labor for the washing of the priest's hands and feet to symbolize the holiness involved in ministering to Yahweh in his holy place. Where was the labor for the washing situated? Where was the placement of that? It was in between two things. So if you're kind of a... uh, in between two things, the, the tent, the tent, right? And then the the, the the bronze altar of sacrifice. So in between the bronze altar of sacrifice and the tent of meeting where the holy place and also the showbread, the lamp, and the altar of incense, in between is uh, is the, the labor for the washing of the hands and the feet, right? um then we're given the uh, last 30, chapter 30, we, we look at the ingredients for the anointing oil for the priests, ingredients for the incense of the altar of incense. Uh, both mixtures could not be replicated for personal usage, reserved exclusively for the tabernacle and the worship of God to teach them, right? To teach them about holiness, holiness categories that God is not, is not ordinary. So uh, everything Involved with his worship, he needed to teach that to those people. And so in today's chapter, in chapter 31, what started in the giving of the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, and then the subsequent instructions on the tabernacle, priestly garments, ordination, um, uh uh, 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 process ends with the description of two special people, and finally it ends, uh, on the, on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. And we're gonna look at, it how important that was and and the function it served. What's going to be made clear, among many other things, is just how chapter 20 to 31 serves as one unit, one literary unit. So they receive the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, and then the final instructions on the Sabbath in chapter 31. And so we learn how the law, the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, the priesthood, the Sabbath... It, they all come together in harmony and cohesion. It all works together, all connected together, to point forward to the return of Christ, His kingdom, and uh, final final Sabbath rest. Well, let's look at verse uh, one through eleven. This is pretty cool. Some really cool things here. Um, uh, we, we we get the name the names of two craftsmen, uh, Bezalel, in verse two and. Oh, Oholiab oh, in verse 6. There's some names for your baby names. Get your baby names possibly. If you have boys, Oholiab, yeah, those are pretty unique names. Um, and it's uh, in connection with the tabernacle. And uh, this is the, 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 their, their references are pretty important because you don't get a lot of names in, in chapter 25 to 40. There are few individuals who are kind of marked out by name. So this is no small feat of honor, no small recognition. Um, verse one, uh, Yahweh speaks to Moses, and, um, he says, uh, see, I have, a, I have, a called, uh, by name, uh, Bezalel, and he's the son of Uri. That's his father. He's the son of Hur. Uh, that's not Bender, like Charles Heston. It's not, not Charles Heston, but that's his—that's uh, his grandfather of the tribe of Judah. Go to First Chronicles. We get—we get—we get Bezalel's family tree. So go to First Chronicles and uh, First Chronicles chapter two, and we get his uh, family tree starting from. Um, Starting from Judah, from Judah, in uh, chapter uh, two, uh, verse uh, verse three. Go to uh, verse uh, chapter two, verse three. The sons of Judah were uh, Er, Onan, Shalah, These three were born to him by Bathsheba, the Canaanites, And Er, Judah's, uh, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of Yahweh, so he put him to death. Tomorrow, his daughter-in-law, bore him Perez uh, and Zerah, jo- Judah, had five sons and all. So uh, we start with Judah, then we move down to Perez. So uh, Perez is uh, Bezalel's kind of a, a forefather. Then we move down uh, to uh, the sons of Perez in verse 5. There's Hezron and Hamul. Um, and then go to skip to uh, uh, verse uh, verse uh, nine. Uh, there is uh, uh, Hezron, uh, we're born to J- J- Jeramiel, Ram, and Chelubai, uh, Chelubai, and then in verse, uh, So we kind of uh, keep going down, and then you have, let's see, and so then it says, uh, uh, it says that uh, Caleb, uh, Hezron has a son named Caleb, and Caleb is one of the forefathers of Bezalel, and Caleb becomes uh, the father uh, by uh, and, and, and he has sons. Uh, Jeshur, uh, show up Ardon. Caleb took for himself uh, Ephra as a wife. She, uh, Caleb takes another wife, and she bore him her right. And and we we saw her back in verse two. That's Bezalel's grandfather, and her becomes the father of Uri. And then verse twenty, uh, Uri became the father of Bezalel. So there's 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 Bezalel's family tree. So a, an important figure in, um, in Israel's history. And what's most significant about verse two, back in chapter thirty-one, is the fact that Bezalel's family lineage is from the tribe tribe of Judah. And why does that kind of why does why does that stand out? The Messiah will come from the tribe. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but kind of more uh, more localized, more kind of um, why is it, why does it stand out in light of more of the immediate circumstances of the of the tabernacle? Because remember, what what tribe was responsible for the tabernacle service and maintenance? It was kind of interesting, because Levites, they would—they were the only tribe that could set up, take down, transport, utilize anything pertaining to the ta- tabernacle. But when it came to the, the original instruction of this tabernacle, God allowed other tribes to take part of this. Uh, they were chosen for their skill, and they were chosen because God had spiritually gifted them. I like chapter... I like verse 3. Verse 3 is pretty cool. And this is what God says to Moses again. And I have filled him... With the Spirit of God in wisdom, note these three words in wisdom and note their order, in wisdom, in discernment and in knowledge to build the tabernacle. Now go to first Kings, go to first Kings chapter 7 and we get a description of Hiram and he is a later a Solomon Solomon will, re, will appoint him to oversee the construction of the temple. that's, the, that's tabernacle 2.0. And uh, this is what this is how Hiram is, is described in verse uh, in First Kings chapter seven, verse uh, thirteen and fourteen. Then King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre, and he was a widow's son from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, working of bronze. And look, what was he filled with? He was filled with wisdom and discernment and knowledge. Right, same three words. Same order, right? Uh, so he came to Solomon did all the work. Now, go to Proverbs, go to Proverbs chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, and look how Solomon describes how God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Chapter 3, 19 and 20. Notice the words and notice the word order. Yahweh by wisdom founded the earth. By discernment he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeds were split up. See? Um that signif what does that signify? What does all that signify? All those connections.
1: It's kind of like it's kind of like within the same order, Yahweh is doing things. Yep. And he imparts that same kind of order to people that he chose yep. to do things in regards sure. to his kingdom. Yep. Okay. And then he's just kind like of a mirror to yep. the way that he does things, and then yep. I want you to do things in the same way that I do things by okay. so okay. imparts, you know, to them in the same category.
0: Okay. You know, okay. okay. Yep. Uh, is it, is knowledge it knowledge? Yep, yes. So, yep, wisdom, discernment, knowledge. Yeah, yeah. so you got a big general picture of what's going on. But more specifically, what's kind of the... What's more specifically, what is kind of the connection there? The earth is a tabernacle. Yeah, so the it shows how the tabernacle is a symbol of creation. Okay. okay. So in the same way God created the universe with wisdom, discernment, and knowledge, so did Bezalel... Construct the tabernacle, a symbol of creation. Okay. So did um, so did uh, Contri- uh, construct the temple, which is a symbol of creation. And what, what is the previous passage we read before Proverbs? Uh, it- First K- Kings 7, 13 and fourteen. Okay. So th- this signifies, as as I, you stated earlier, we saw earlier that the tabernacle uh, was to be viewed as a model of creation when God dwelled with man. The tabernacle was intended to parallel creation. I shared this story before. Uh, you know, I grew up in Korea and uh, went to an international school, and uh, we, we took a trip to uh, the DMZ. DMZ is like the demilitarized zone where uh, you know where North Korea is separated from South Korea. It's really intense. You know, scary. And uh, I remember the I remember the my teachers uh, looking at all of class, and he said, "You see those North Korean soldiers? Don't point at them." Do not point at those North Korean soldiers, and we're all just like laughing. Like, okay, why are you pointing at them? But uh, you know, in, in the DMZ, they, they 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 had this situation, this rivalry, where they would they would build. There was the North Korean flag and the South Korean flag, and every year they would they would they would they would, uh, they would each side would make a bigger flag. And so every year there would be the North Korean flag would be bigger and the next year the South Korean flag would be bigger and it got out of control <laughs> and they were so big they had to have a meeting to discuss, okay, we got to stop this rivalry and so they made a deal where the North Korean flag is allowed to be bigger but the base of the flagpole of the South Korean flag is allowed to be bigger. Now. The North Korean flag, it's so big, it doesn't flap. It just, it, it just, it stays down. <laughs> no matter how windy it is, it's so big, it won't, you can't see it. The tabernacle was Israel's flag to the world. And it, it broadcasted salvation. It was a message that new creation was not lost. That history was going somewhere. There was, there was a, there was this train to salvation, there, and you could get on. You could get on this train, but you could only get on by faith in Yahweh. And so that was this, that was the purpose of uh, of the tabernacle. Uh, it says uh, in verse thirty again, "I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom." Um, where did you you were, now? This this this—we're in Exodus. We're early on in Scripture. So Spirit of God hasn't been mentioned a lot. Does anybody remember where, where you saw it first? The Spirit of God. Genesis 1 Genesis 1, very good. Hovering over the earth that was uh, uh, formless and void. In verse 3, again, uh, I filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom, discernment, knowledge, and, and all kinds of craftsmanship. That word, that um that Hebrew word, you saw in we see three times in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. On the seventh day, God completed his work. There's the word again. Rest on the seventh day from all his work. There's the word again. Rest from all his work which God had created and it. So verse 3 makes it abundantly clear. Um, when you see the tabernacle, think creation. Think Eden. But, um, verses 4 and 5. Um, just kind of a side note: you see end of five at the end of three, that phrase, and all kinds of craftsmanship. It's just to say that Bezalel was really skilled. It's uh, kind of a, he knew every aspect of um, of uh, you know craftsmanship. He's a really a skilled worker. And, and then in, in verse six, we we're uh, we're introduced to number two, the number two guy in charge, Oholiab. Um, uh, he uh, he had really, he had a nice six-pack, you know, holy abs. So, um, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. addition to uh, the second guy in church, there was also a team given to them. Um, he had uh, the son of Ahiz, uh, uh, he was the son of the, uh, Oliab, was, Oliab was the son of Ahiz, Ahisamak of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all who are wise at heart, I have put wisdom. Um, what's emphasized here in verse 6 is the end of verse 6. That they make all that I have commanded you. That what is being created is uh, from God's mind. It's from the sources from heaven. It's it's made according to God's will and desire. Um, they're they're going to build according to all of God's specifications. Now we move to 7 through And this is kind of a just a nice review of everything that we, we saw from chapter 25, To thirty in relationship to the to the tabernacle, right? Verse seven, the tent of meeting. We looked at the ark of testimony, the mercy seat, furniture of the tent. Verse eight, the table utensils, pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, altar of incense, altar of burnt offering, the laver and its stand, the woven garments, the holy garments, the garments of his sons, the anointing oil. Verse eleven, the fragrant incense. You get a nice succinct summary. Before we move to point number two, then we look uh, at the laws on the Sabbath. Now, um, Mo- Moses had uh, spoken earlier about this Sabbath in Exodus. You guys remember where in Exodus?
2: Two, 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 two main spots. What was the first uh, mention of the Sabbath? you remember? Uh, was it, was it 20,
0: that was the Ten Commandments. That was the second one. But there was one that one place that came before. What Exodus 16. And this remember remember If you if you remember that my, my, my time my kind of a breakdown of this of this book, remember in chapter sixteen and seventeen, it deals with the topic of the purpose of the law. God is preparing them to receive the law in chapter twenty. But so in sixteen and seventeen, he's 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 first giving the giving God's people Israel the general idea. This is kind of the general purpose of the law, and so that's it's found in that in this section of chapter sixteen. Uh, go to verse twenty three. So six days uh, he, he's going to provide uh, this miraculous uh, uh, omer, uh, these uh, these kind of uh, uh, these wafers, these these honey wafers. Uh, he's going to provide a meat at night. You have quail, uh, and then he says, "I'm going to provide for you on, on the sixth on the on the sixth day. Uh, I'm going to give you double that, uh, two omers, because on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, I don't want you to work." Verse twenty three. Um, this is what Yahweh had spoken. Tomorrow is the Sabbath observant, the holy Sabbath of Yahweh. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is in excess put aside to be kept until morning. Um, remember, at the end of the day, they were to just, just to throw it away and look for, each of the six days they were to look for new food to show that they trusted Yahweh. If they didn't, if they didn't do that, the food would spoil. But not on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, Um, Verse 24, um, they put it aside as Moses had commanded, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worms in it, right? So uh, sixth day, they they, they gather a double portion for the seventh day. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath of Yahweh. Today you're not going to work. Today you will not find it in the fields. Six days you shall uh, gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened... What happens on the Sabbath, though? Verse 27. Now, it happened on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather. They break the Sabbath. And so you, you learn two things. Number one, the law does what? The law reveals the sinfulness of God's people. Number two, you get a kind of a hint, okay, how this Sabbath thing is going to work out for Israel, right? You get a little preview that what God instructs in chapter 31 it's not going to, they're not going to do very well. Uh, Chapter 16 already told us that. Um, Again, you you get a a little bit of the observation of the Sabbath instruction in Exodus 20, 8-11, the the Ten Words of the Ten Commandments. Uh, In chapter 16, uh, in in addition to kind of what I just said, you're going to see how the law and the Sabbath intersect. And, um, Verse 13, uh, uh, now, before, before uh, uh, let me see, did I write this down? I didn't put this in. It's in my other, it's in my other notes. I have to transfer it to my teaching manuscript. But let me just say something interesting. Uh, that phrase, verse 12, Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, that started, I forgot when that started. Maybe it was it. Twenty or but that phrase from the time the first time you see it in Exodus, uh, this 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 uh, this this phrase Yahweh spoke to Moses. This is the seventh and final time you see that phrase in verse twelve, and that signifies what creation, right? Uh, the seventh day, the Sabbath, and so you have this kind of literary finesse to emphasize. Uh, the Sabbath, kind of interesting thing. I wish I could have showed you the exact the exact address for all of them, but uh, you can find it on your own uh, later. It's not too hard. Just type in Yahweh spoke to Moses and one of those programs, and you'll be able to find it. So verse 13, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am Yahweh who makes you holy. Um, so far we've seen two signs associated with two covenants. What were those two signs and what were those two covenants? Two signs associated with two covenants so far. What, what
1: were they? From Genesis all the way up
0: to here. Yeah, from Genesis and up all the way so far up to here. Okay. Yeah. I have a guess. I don't know.
1: So first, first sign if we're talking about covenant then it's the it's yeah, covenant, it, yeah. And then the sign is the rainbow. Amen, yeah. Yeah. And um, second covenant is the somebody else?
0: Abraham covenant covenant. And what's the sign of the Abraham covenant?
1: The walking um,
0: oh, that was the covenant ritual. That's the covenant ritual. You're close, that's a good guess. A good good answer. What was the sign?
1: It'll make them a nation.
0: No, it was it was it was like a it was like a physical, it was like something physical that you could see. Just like a, you could see a rainbow, this sign you could also see, not oh. quite a rainbow. Circumcision. <laughs> it's it's a <laughs> <It's> a circumcision. The <laughs> circumcision is a sign of the Abraham covenant. And now the sa- it says this is a Sabbath. This Sabbath is a sign. What is it a sign of? Yeah, and how do you know that? Because it's found within the context of the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law, starting from chapter 20 and then chapter 31. So, very clear the Sabbath is a sign of the Mosaic Covenant, um, a sign of the covenant God makes with Moses. What was the purpose of this weekly covenant, according to verse 13? That you may know that I am Yahweh, who makes you holy. So that's the sign of the covenant. The Sabbath would be this weekly reminder that the relationship between Yahweh and his people required them to be holy people. However, it was a holiness that was it was a holiness that they could not achieve on their own. It was God who would sanctify them. He would do the work. Um so this Sabbath sign, sign of the Mosaic Covenant, to teach them to sort of help them learn of who Yahweh is. You had a question?
1: Yeah, it, it, it did say it too verbatim, "I am Yahweh who makes you holy." Mm-hmm. And then um, a lot of the times the twisting. Even today, Semitarians they accuse people you don't know, observe the Sabbath day as if there's a problem or some people think that it is keeping up these rules that makes them holy somehow um, but but god's law god is saying that i am the one who was giving you this covenant and i am making you holy now is is there like a two facade to this is there a what a, a, a two like facade to it like we're keeping the law and is making us holy or it's just god is making them holy i should say them them holy yeah, I think, you know, there, there's,
0: there, there's that principle that God's the one who sanctifies the people. Mm-hmm. Old and New Testament, I think there's that principle being established. Um, and that, I think, just maybe speak generally to your comment. Um, why don't we celebrate the Sabbath today? Because it would seem to suggest, just by the placement of the Sabbath, that, remember, this is a unit. There's the law, the commandments, the tabernacle, the priesthood, and the Sabbath. They all come together. Mm-hmm. And it's a sign of the Mosaic covenant. Mm-hmm. So to practice the Sabbath, it would seem to strongly suggest in these chapters that you need to practice everything. everything. You need, you know, the law and the civic laws and uh, the tabernacle and the priesthood and all of that in order to, um, and so, um, That's kind of a kind of the main reason why we don't uh, practice this the Sabbath. We're not part of the Mosaic Covenant anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, the Sabbath here does uh, uh, does kind of uh, we do see uh, we do have a part of the Sabbath even now, and and I'll I'll explain that a a, a little bit later. Verse 14 and 15, uh, God continues, Therefore you shall keep the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Uh, six days' work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to Yahweh, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be uh, shall surely be put to death. Even today in Israel they practice the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath meal Saturday, everything closes down, uh, work shuts down. The streets are pretty uh, empty uh, on in Israel on the Sabbath. But uh, what don't they practice with respect to the Sabbath? According to these verses, they don't kill. They don't kill anybody who is working on the Sabbath. Um, so close, but not close enough. Um, what is the relationship between the Sabbath and all the tabernacle instructions that we kind of saw before? Well, this is, the Sabbath is when God's people worship God. This was the day that they were fully dedicated to uninterrupted focused worship. And so to fail to keep the Sabbath was a failure to worship Yahweh. And to, and to, and to fail to worship Yahweh was to say, hey, I'm not part of the people of God. Remember, the Sabbath this is the sign of obedience to the Mosaic Covenant. And so if you refuse to keep the Sabbath, your actions would indicate openly to everybody that you were not a partaker of the covenant. Is that
1: why the word cut off is actually used? Uh, uh, if you're making the statement by your action, then we will, then God is asking them to actually cut you off. Uh,
0: uh, that's uh, uh, yes and no. Yes, that, that cut off is uh, I think that's in relationship to this, the circumcision. So it's this okay. it's this bloody ordeal. So that uh, it's cut. Um, and I think also. Let me see. That's one of the unique features of the, the Legacy Standard version. I remember them talking about that, and they, they use they purposely use cut off. And in fact, a lot of versions that use that because it. Uh, Chapter 15. Certainly broad, middle, split apart. Maybe it was the covenant,
1: and let me see, where's the circumcision? Genesis mm-hmm. uh, sh- sure 15? that is- You should keep
0: Yeah, so there's a connection with. Uh, Yeah, so there's all you see. I I, I I forgot the details, but uh, chapter seven and fourteen, an uncircumcised male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That person shall be cut from cut off from his people. And then um, the sacrifices. I think it's also related to the sacrifices, although I can't kind of give you the exact verses to show that. But um, uh, yeah, it was a bloody ordeal yeah, to kind of show a bloody ordeal. ordeal. Um, if you did partake of the Sabbath, you were making this public declaration of your covenant loyalty to the God of the Sabbath. Uh, Verses 16 to 17, um, we learn that the Sabbath, um, although it is vitally connected to the Mosaic covenant, ultimately points to final Sabbath rest. Verse 16 and 17. God says, "So so the sons of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So when God made the world in six days, he remember he rested on the seventh. And this was the purpose of creation. Creation was driving toward the seventh day when God would dwell with man. So if the fall never happened, God would have rested on the 8th day and the ninth day and so forth. He would have dwelt in harmony with Adam and Eve perpetually. It would have been this eternal Sabbath. Um, that didn't happen. Man fell, man rebelled, Sabbath rest ended. Uh, and so now in this Sabbath of the tabernacle, of uh, this Sabbath of the Mosaic Covenant, in light of the original creation purpose of the Sabbath, the seventh day, the Sabbath is now dec- what well, was now declaring to the world that rest is possible with Yahweh—spiritual rest, uh, eschatological rest, physical rest. Uh, remember, in chapter sixteen and seventeen, the law revealed our sin. The law points to salvation. So, the law, along with the Sabbath, pointed to final and perfect salvation. Every aspect of salvation. Totality of salvation, spiritual and physical. So in the same way, created humanity was originally meant to enter God's rest and dwell with Him forever in Genesis 1 and 2, God freed Israel from slavery in order for Him to dwell with His people. Listen to this. Sabbath was the goal of Exodus, right? Sabbath is the goal of Exodus. Sabbath is that symbol. Is to show that the goal of the second and final exodus is a final and perfect Sabbath rest. Now, how does the Sabbath relate to the church, God's people today? We have partially entered that rest. There is a partial fulfillment of the Sabbath in that we have rest with, in our hearts, new hearts, new covenant hearts. That's what Jesus was talking about when he says, come to me and all who are weary and I will give you rest. Talking about Sabbath rest, final rest. Um, So, since we are this kind of partial fulfillment of the Sabbath, this is why we don't keep the Sabbath because we have Sabbath rest in Christ, don't we? Um, Look at Hebrews four nine through eleven. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God for the one who has entered His rest. As himself also rested from his works as did, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall into the same example of uh, disobedience. In Hebrews 4, 9, 11, this is a uh, future tense language, right? There remains a Sabbath, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest there's a sense we've, we've, we've already experienced that rest but there's also a sense we haven't uh, experienced that full final perfect rest in the future right and so um, we don't uh, celebrate the Sabbath because we we have rest rest has come in Christ we have Sabbath rest in Christ and that Sabbath rest in Christ has been accomplished by what? The resurrection. Mm-hmm. So that's why we celebrate on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're new creation, right? So the first day of creation, we the, the light, we let there be light. We, we're we this symbol that new creation has begun. It has begun in the church, in our lives, in our hearts, mm-hmm. in our obedience to Christ. All right, so uh, we go to verse 18 and the final verse... And Moses wraps it up, right? We know this is a unit by the way it ends. When he finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. Chapter twenty, Moses was given uh, the, the Ten Commandments, and now it ends here. Now it's a summary. This is the, this is this is kind of the, the end goal. This is how this is how it ends when God gave. Moses 2, tablets of the testimony written by the finger of God. Um, These, um, as I said before, there's two tablets, not because one through five is written on the first tablet, six through ten is written on the other tablet, like like, like there wasn't enough space. That's kind of silly if you think about it. (laughs) Let's get a second one. Um, This was uh, uh, standard ancient Near Eastern treaty covenant practice. So when a sovereign conquered a vassal, the vassal would have a copy of the covenant, and the sovereign ruler would have a copy of the covenant. Uh, and so this is kind of a mimics uh, the, 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 the kind of the cultural practice of, of a king and the, 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 the responsibilities given to a conquered people. God is their king. God would be their king. And Israel would be God's people, and so you need this covenant written on two stones. It's kind of interesting when you read children's books; uh, you, you can kind of tell who's really good, good theologian. Sometimes you'll see one <laughs> through five and six through ten, and okay, he's not that; right? he's not right? Oh, sometimes you see one, you see one through ten, one through ten. It's really cool. You know, like, oh wow, this guy—he really, he's really—he really knows his Bible very well. So it's interesting to read uh, children's Bible stories. Um. So when he first ascended the mountain, he was given tablets of stone, Ten Commandments. He recorded the rest of the laws on a part of uh, a, a, a parchment or a piece of uh, paper, parchment. And verse 18 reiterates that this law came from God himself. Now, today, we don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a temple. Uh, the, church a uh, the church is the tabernacle. The church is the temple, right? Because this is where God dwells. God dwells in the church. In the hearts of his people, and uh, it's really interesting. Go to First Corinthians three ten, and, and I'm I'm pretty sure uh all he's thinking about Exodus thirty one when he when he writes First Corinthians three verse ten. He's talking about his ministry to the church. Um. Chapter uh, th- 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. That word, master builder, is one Greek word. And you see it in Exodus 31. When you look at the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, um, uh, you find the same. You find the same. Uh, a word in uh, verse four when speaking of uh, uh, devise artistic designs. Uh, the Septuagint uses the word uh, 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 you know uh, oh, that word for work to devise uh, artistic designs for work. Uh, the same Greek word that Paul just used in First Corinthians three ten is found here in verse 4 for work in Exodus 31, verse 4. So that's kind of interesting, right? Paul's kind of writing. um, He sees himself as a New Testament version of Bezalel, right? Mm -hmm. He's the craftsman building God's tabernacle, and the imagery he has in mind is Mr. Bezalel, who's building the tabernacle. So you see that theological connection, right? That's all... Uh, the church, what is the church? The church is God's flag now to say, hey, you want salvation? Uh, you can find it here. You can find it in church as the church preaches the gospel into the world. So there you go.